I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guests are Sarah Edmondson and Anthony Ames, cult escapees and the whistleblowers who exposed and took down the Nexium cult. Let's talk about it. We're so uh, we're so elated to to be sitting down uh, with Sarah and Nippy. Um, if you've been living under a rock, um, well, then uh, you've I'm probably welcome from underneath the rock. <laughs> you've missed a lot, I'm sure. Um, but um, but um, uh, Sarah Edmondson and Nippy Ames, uh, Anthony Nippy Ames, uh, both were. Um, sort of the part of the prime subjects of, of HBO's The Vow and uh, uh, the, the Escaping Nexium podcast from CBC. Um, you guys were a part of the Nexium cult, which, is, which I, I feel like, like for our generation, probably the most famous It's like the cult. cult. It is the, yeah, it's the cult of like our generation right yeah. now. Um, Sweet. <laughs> congratulations. Congrats. Great. That's what I set out to do. <laughs> if you were looking to achieve some high oh, level of executive great, success, but I, I, um, I feel like, did. I feel like, uh, oh, <laughs> I feel like in that intro, there's probably a lot of our listeners that are familiar with Nexium or what Nexium was. Um, um, but I'm sure that there's at least one person out there who, uh, isn't familiar. So, um, Sarah Nippy, first of all, thank you for, for taking time to be on our show to talk to us. But, uh, Thanks secondly, it, it, I would love if, if you took a moment to introduce yourselves and, and just give us a, the sort of like elevator pitch of, uh, <laughs> what Nexium was. Jeremy, I've actually feel like I've honed this. Um, do, Nippy, do you mind if I do it? Oh, Sarah, <laughs> there's no stopping you. <laughs> She's rolling. <laughs> so I, I had to I had to home this elevator pitch just for the sake of my own sanity. Here, here's the here's a show short version. Um, so I'll do mine and then you can do yours, isn't it? But I joined Nexium in 2005. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, I was a struggling artist, want want to be semi working actress, looking for meaning and purpose and community. I met a filmmaker on a cruise. Um, the filmmaker had made a film that I really liked and respected. Long story short, he said, if you like my film, you will love this program I just took. And it was right place, right time. I really trusted him. I wanted to make movies like his that were conscious shifting media, not beer commercials and vampire TV shows. Mm. And it just felt, felt right. And I jumped in without researching, took a five-day training in executive success programs, which is a personal and professional development program. Um, was very reluctant and skeptical at first. I can talk more about that later. But by the end, I was totally sold and I wanted to bring this curriculum, this technology, they called it, red flag, to, uh, <laughs> to Canada, which I ended up doing. I spent 12 years in the program. There were a lot of wonderful, wonderful things, uh, community, friendship, deep emotional work, uh, self-awareness, 
self-transformation, basically what I now know to be a combination of various therapies, talk therapy, NLP, hypnosis, Buddhism, basic tenets of probably what you've learned as as yoga teachers as well, like the truth Mm -hmm. of the universe packaged in a way that was very palpable. And that, what I found out later was the sort of the outside smokescreen to hide what was really going on behind closed doors, which was kept from many of us on the outside who were like this little army of humanitarians trying to build build the build the world with this beautiful mission of of um, helping people be the change and all all the sort of cliche memes that you see in mm-hmm. on Instagram all those good things we were we thought we were doing and that was really a cover for the leader whose name is Keith Ranieri if you're still under that rock um, who was basically created a a system for to create dependency on his system, his organization, so he could have a fresh supply of women and build his own little harem and have his needs met. Um, and uh, it was a uh, ended up being a criminal enterprise. So long story short for the for the elevator pitch, when we figured out what was really going on, um, Nippy and I and a couple of people decided to become whistleblowers and expose mm. it. That turned into an article in the New York Times, which led to an investigation, which led to a trial. And he's in jail for 120 years. And um, mm. and now With we five have... five years probation. And five years probation. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case he makes it. <laughs> fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, he's actually immortal. Um, probably thinks he is. Yeah, right, um, right. <laughs> favorite part of the sentence. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> probation. Just in case he thinks he's immortal, which like fucking is not... It, that's not far-fetched at all. Not really. No. So, and here we are, we've been out for five years, um, mm. coming up on our five-year anniversary in actually a couple of weeks. Wow. Do you, cele- do, you, do you celebrate? Yeah, we're going to celebrate. Yeah. It's around my birthday. So we kind of like go, and by the way, it's almost five years, but June 1st really? is when I went in and did my mic drop. Mm. Yeah. What, so, and what, so what, and, and where do you, so you're a 2005, so, and, and yeah. you're, and you're referencing Mark. Mark Vicente, yeah. Correct. Mark Vicente, the, the right. filmmaker. Right, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I watched The Valor not that long ago. Like, I ended up coming to it a little bit a little bit uh, later. Probably watched it, like, six months ago, maybe. Um, Nippy, where, where where does that start? Where so does your story start? Mine's similar, um, but it, it has a couple of distinctions that I think are important. I had an old girlfriend who I had run into at a party in New York City. I was living in New York City, auditioning, um, doing print model work, stuff like that, and um, just hustling. And, um, I run into her, um, and she was married. I still had feelings for her. Um, she gets divorced and her mother gives her a training, this training where she's from in upstate New York, um, as a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. Mm. And I, and she comes out of it and, you know, when we were dating, like just a little back, I had all the books on Kennedy, all the books on Martin Luther King, all the books on the best quarterbacks. I played quarterback in college. And I was just all about how do you get better? How do you get better? How do you get better? And that was pretty much what was my drive. And she knew that about me. So in her mind, I was a prime candidate for something that might be interested in this. And in in a lot of ways, she was right. But when she described it to me, I was like, I'm not doing your fucking cult. And it was about a year of her trying Uh to convince me to do it. Hmm. And finally, I get on a, I I do a, so I had a thing whenever I booked a job that I got paid for, I'd go take a trip somewhere, see a friend or something like that. And I'm on the phone with her. She's like, what do you do? Go off and uh, hit on women and get drunk. And I was like, yeah, kind of. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm going to LA. Like, I'm, I'm young. I'm like, Guilty. But it, but it also, it, it also put the meat hooks in me. I'm like, yeah, you know what? She reminded me of the things that are important to me. 
So instead of taking that money to go play, I took it and was like, "What? what's the worst thing could, that could happen? It's a five-day training. Mm. She told me that her father had done it. And I'd known her father since I was 15. He went to Yale, played football. It was kind of a similar, like, you know, respect. Pedigree. Pedigree <laughs> that I respected. So I went and took a five-day. And yeah, it was all, it was weird, but I had buy-in before I went. So she preempted me. She's like, it's weird. And I was like, dude, Sasha's Vanguard bowing? Come on. Seriously? <laughs> She's like, yeah, but but the content, it felt like there was a seriousness behind it that I could relate to. Mm. Um, and so I was involved for about a year and a half until the fall of 2003 because um, the only place you could do it was upstate New York. And then I was like, I peaced out. I was deuces. I was like, there's no one here that I, I respect really that's going up. Like for me, I always look in the system and go, who's the person that's doing what I want to do? That person. I'm going to find out what they do. And eventually mm. I'm there. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was no one in the organization that I looked at was like spearheading it in a way that I felt like it was going to be successful. And Vanguard, Sashes, and Bowling just wasn't going to catch on in New York City. So I didn't leave under any so sort of duress. I was just like, okay, I got what I got. Now I'm going to go back to my grind and, and build what I want to build for me. And I was, you know, still young, 27, 28, whatever. And and felt like I had time to do it. And I got cast in something in LA in 2005. Um, stayed in touch with some people. And then um, the filmmaker, Mark Vicente, who's in the film, came out in August of 2006 and said, hey, listen, I have a film project. We're shooting it this fall. Keith was interested in having you in it. And, you know, and he met me and he's like, we're, gonna, we're funding for this stuff. And I said, okay, fine. Mm. Um, you going to move me back? And they paid for everything. They paid for my move. They paid to move for my car. And they paid for all my meals and board while I was in Albany up until about May of 2007 when I recognized the film wasn't happening. But I also recognized that the organization had gone from like, what I, I mean, I'm just going to say it, what I felt like were losers to people that had pedigree, were doing things in the world. And it felt like it merged the acting community that I was pursuing <clears throat> and personal and professional development into one field. And it felt okay, this organization, I was wrong. And I was kind of eating my words mm. um, around why I left in the first place. Um, another important distinction too is um, a, lot of, a lot of people are there for a lot of different reasons. Sarah is there for different reasons. I came back for work, not for Keith Rainier. <coughs> right. So my boundaries in terms of what I felt like was good, okay, had already been established in my first exit. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it totally. Wasn't yeah, like, yeah. I wasn't, so... I wasn't coming in for the mission and Keith Rainier. I was coming in. My plan was I'm going to shoot this film and I'm going to go back to L.A. Yeah. Tell you, the, them about the... Sorry. Well, yeah. no, I mean, one of the things I was going to say there is that, it, um, you know, out of, out of the... We haven't talked about cults a ton uh, over the last six years, but we, it, it's come up on the show a number of times. And... Uh, I, I've always, I've always had a, a, a really deep fascination with cults. Like, you know, if there's a documentary on like a, a really well-known established cult, I've watched it. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I, I find it so, so very interesting. Big cult fan. Uh, big cult fan. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, uh, one of the things that I feel like is kind of a misconception when it comes to cults is like, you know, when you think of like, like Jonestown or, um, Heaven's Gate or like any of these, these, these cults that we've heard of in the past, you, you oftentimes will like watch the documentaries or read the books about these things. And you hear about like the way that it was run and you kind of think to yourself, well, they must've been just, they must've been sinking their teeth into like really vulnerable people. Like the people who are the most vulnerable, the people who are the most, 
um, uh, you know, like the, the weak people, the people who like just didn't have a lot going for their lives. But then you, you watch the vow or like you hear the two of you talk about this right now. And it's like, you guys don't, don't seem so vulnerable. You know, you guys don't seem so, so like, may may I speak to that? Yeah, please, please. Yeah. This is something actually I learned from Yanya Lalich and it, the world, the word vulnerable is interesting because it does, can have a negative thing to it. Like, oh, there's a difference between weak and stupid and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for sure, many cults target weak and stupid. (laughs) And they also target high-functioning, intelligent, idealistic people. Mm. It really, it's across the board. It's everything. If you look at the Teal Swan story right now, if you want to watch, I want to do an episode on that, The Deep End. She certainly targets people who are suffering in pain and like thinking about suicide. Mm-hmm. Right. So are they stupid? No. Are they suffering? Yes. Are they vulnerable? Yes. Mm. I think the through line with all of us, anyone who gets caught up in a cult, is there a vulnerability? And it's more of a situational thing. A si- they call it um, a social situational vulnerability. For yeah. me, being at a crossroads in my career, 26 years old, not feeling like acting was really hitting it. That's a vulnerability because I'm looking for something. I'm, I'm, there's a gaping hole there yeah. <laughs> of like, I, and I'm purpose, purpose, meaning people. And then, and oh, it's presented itself and a vulnerability for me. It was the pseudo spiritual, like time in my life where I'm, I'm putting it out there as an intention. I'm looking for my purpose and there it is. It's a sign. Oh my God, this must be it. Mm-hmm. The, you know? I, I, the yeah. thing that jumped out to me when I was watching in the, the early episodes of the vow, I was going, and and this is something we've, we've talked about. This is something this. we've talked about a lot. Is we we've all taken yoga teacher trainings. Yeah. We've, I've taken many teacher trainings. Like one of the. I'm one, also. One, I also went to Ryerson for acting. I'm I'm a I'm a, right. I'm, a I'm a failed actor. And, okay. like, and, and, and so we, we, I'm I am I, and I owe Jeremy and I met at our first yoga teacher training t- eleven years ago. My wife. We just had a baby. We uh, we met Congrats. at the same. We met at the same training. Like mm-hmm. my life is so took such a direction from a te- from this from a right. teacher training where you go into this setting and you are becoming acquainted with this the, with the um with the positivity of vulnerability mm. of, of right. letting your guard down and and making connections with people on common mm. ground where you're trying to make strides and get better and you know be truthful and honest and i saw so much of that yeah. in those first episodes when the foundation of what the executive success program was all about, I was going, wow, mm-hmm. yeah. this yeah. on its shell mm-hmm. yep. would like looks, looks, you know, it's, it's packaged in this different way and they've, they've got mm-hmm. the vernac- this different vernacular and the sashes and everything. But it's like, it's very similar to this thing that I've experienced mm-hmm. yeah. and on its surface, like, like do, do you, is there any part of you that, like, that, that still has a, a bit of like a reverence for the, for that smoke screen, if it didn't go deeper than that, or are you like really jaded? <laughs> I by never it? liked it. No, we, we're different in that way. Like the, I never the, liked the sashes. I never liked the van. Well, that part I didn't like. I, I mean, the curriculum and, and working with people and, and helping spotting them and working how they make decisions was really rewarding and fun. Right. That part yeah. was great. I yeah. mean, I have, I like just the other day, I had an interaction with somebody who had a bit of a meltdown and I didn't EM them because I can't, that's the process we used to do. Like the, it's basically like talk therapy, but also getting to the root of like whatever is triggering them in the moment. And I just, I just asked a couple of questions that kind of reminded me a little bit of like how I would have done it back then. Right. 
You know, like yeah. what's, you know, what's the, what's, what's, what are you afraid of right now? Or like, what's it's the worst thing? Specifying, we're... isolating, overcoming what the thing that they're reacting yeah. to. They, they don't the, know that until you elicit the information and, and show them. So, but like, right. I have People a reverence. Yeah. I have a reverence for like, I would love to maybe go back and train to be a therapist properly so I can use right. those tools. I, I feel weird doing it now because a lot of it's based in like stuff that Keith kind of put together. So I don't yeah. I want to be careful, yeah. right. but but the, but the ability to help somebody work through an issue is something that I have, I, I, I loved. I loved doing that. Yeah. Totally. Those are powerful moments yeah. in the, in yeah. the, in the documentary for when, sure. When you, when you say that, um, it feels a bit weird now too. And you think of it in this, like you revere it at the same time that it makes you feel a little bit weird doing it because of that attachment to like yeah. the sort of more nefarious way that it was used in the past. Does that kind of suck? Like feeling weird about like, because I love, like, that's my my favorite thing in life is like having those like really like deep emotional connections with someone when you're, when you're able to like hold space for them in a moment yes. and like be there for them when they, when they need you most. I think that yeah. is like the most valuable experience that you can have in life. And I imagine that like part, like part of that could almost feel like tainted. It is. In a sense. What's, yeah, what's it, that like? It, it's, that feels tainted in the same way that because like, and not so much, I don't think for Nippy, but because I did sales as well and like would connect with people on that level and then bring them into a program, <laughs> you yeah. know? So it's Where you mixed. might get branded. Well, yeah, which of course we didn't know <laughs> about until 12 yeah. years yeah. in, but, but like people still. got hurt. People got hurt. When I was originally pitching someone and relating to them on that level in a very deep emotional way. And then those people, you know, eventually moved to Albany or in some cases even joined Keith's harem. It it feels like, you know, I can't even, I can't even invite somebody to do like just sales or pitching anything is like, Hey, we're going to the cabin. Do you guys like, I've got to tell people the, the value of what it's going to cost any of that. Mm. I, I'm just now being able to like, even with the podcast and getting sponsorships, it's any sales related thing is, is hard. And also I didn't realize until I wasn't doing it anymore that anytime I met anybody, like, Jeremy, if I went to your TED talk and talked to you after the show, I'd be like, mm. oh my God, Jeremy would be the perfect person for Nexium because he's so all about life and living his best life and tapped into that. Like you would have been a, like a prime target for me and I, in, mm. in the best possible way. I would have mm -hmm. like, I want you on our team. I want you on team mission humanity. Mm -hmm. And if I had met you in anywhere else, it's like any person I met, I'd be filtering through what program would be good for them and where would they fit into our community. It's it, is like a, it is a hidden motive. If I was, a, mm. it was a good hidden motive, but it was still hidden. So, so to, to meet people now and to like not have that is very freeing, actually. So that mm. feels really good to be able to just oh oh you your teacher training. Tell me where. Like I have no. I just I'm curious, you know. And I don't. I'm not doing it to elicit information so I can find out what training would be good for you. Mm. I, I'm I'm really curious about um, you know so so this. I think it's rare for someone to get the opportunity to speak to someone who's gone through the entire process of uh, not being in a cult, uh, eventually signing up and, and, and being deeply steeped within a cult, mm -hmm. and then realizing how fucked up the situation mm -hmm. is and blowing a whistle on a cult, and then getting you know quite a bit of distance from it relatively to most people who are mm -hmm. outside of, you know, outside of or within the cult. Um, and what that entire process is is like before we kind of get into that process one of the things that i'm wondering about is when you guys were when you guys were in it and like fully in it um 
did you ever have anyone approach you outside of outside of Nexium to say like this seems a bit off? <laughs> you know, we we are a bit worried about you guys, mm-hmm. or or like share any kind of concern regarding Nexium, and if so. What was that experience like for you? I just took shit. Right. Yeah. You were <laughs> like, okay, cult. yeah, fuck it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, you yeah. still in that cult? And like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But after a while, it looked like I was working for a corporation. So it didn't really look that way. At first, I was like, I, I addressed the cult stuff. But then when people would check on me, they'd be like, oh, that's, oh, it's not cult. It just sounds like it's a business for goals. And mm. that's what it was to me. You know? Like, could could you, um, like, when they would say that, would, like, did, was there a piece of you that was like, I can see how you could see it that yeah. way? Yeah, no, like, oh. no, we joked about it. I was like, yeah, it's got culty vibes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, depend, it depends sure. where you're asking me in the 12 years, but right at the beginning, people were concerned I was spending that much money as like, you know, my rent was $400 a month. And I was and spending 2000 And not, yeah. So there was some concern about like, you're spending how much on five days and who are these people? And yeah. a lot of that was built on, well, like Mark Vicente re- like referred me. He did what the bleep. So like I had... All of recruitment and cults is based on sort of a leveraged trust. I think it's two, you know, two thirds of um, people join cults through somebody they know or a coworker. Like it's, mm. you have that, like, well, if they're doing it and they're happy and successful, like this must be good. But as time went on, we, we learned how to respond to it. And I actually didn't mind the objection. I'd be like, yeah, it's a cult, cult of, what's a cult anyway? It's a cult, it's a group of happy, successful people. And I'm mm. clearly like, look at my life. I'm clearly succeeding. What's bad? And we also learned that people can throw, people still do throw around the, the word cult without saying specifically what's the abuse of power, what's the mm. problem. That's what we seek to do in our podcast is to specifically show what an organization or a group or a religion or a yoga, whatever they, happens across the board, mm-hmm. what are they doing specifically that makes it a cult? If someone had come to me and said, hey, here's the checklist is your group doing any of these things? That might have been different. Nobody ever did an intervention with me. Um, Apparently my mom was planning on it, but she couldn't get the other people around us to do it because they were, they were like, she's, you know, she's, she seems happy. Like, yeah. sure. There's no, some weird no, you, things. You seemed happier than they were. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, in, what, in that case then you right? like, let, let's say that like right now, um, my sister is not in a cult, but let's say my sister, I, I was like looking at my sister and I was going, you're in a cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my sister seems really happy. Right, like she seems happy doing this cult thing that she's doing, but I'm but on like the other side. MLMs are kind of cults. Look, we're not going to talk about the MLM thing. Uh, like it, we do right, some episodes. Sister, we do all right, fine. episodes on, on that. All right, fine. My sister's in a fucking MLM. All right, <laughs> Natasha, I'm so sorry if you're listening to this. Um, I love you, Natasha. But, love you, Natasha. But <laughs> God damn it! Why, I should have said somebody else. You should have. No, I should have. Anyway, my sister. My sister's in an it's MLM. Fine. It's fine it's, to talk about this. Stuff. It is. You're right. And it's it important to but, talk. So about this it. is what I want to ask. How can I have conversations with my sister without feeling without leaving her okay. feeling alienated? Right? Don't tell her she's in a cult. Okay, first of all, too late. Uh, for that. Too late. Uh, <laughs> fuck that <laughs> one up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I learned from Stephen Hassan, who wrote the other book that I refer to a lot, "Combating Cult Mind Control," and he he talks about how, like, you know, you, you can't. You can't just tell people they're in a cult. I, I was so armed for the response for that for years. I yeah. felt like I, I could I could ninja out of any objection you around can stuff plant like that. Questions though, but but you mm. can plant questions. And the people <laughs> to answer your earlier question, anyone come to me? The person who actually got to me the most came to me. We had coffee. We he was just wanted to ask me some questions, and he showed me all the articles that I had refused to read over the years because I was told that would 
change my, this is a Nexium term, thought object of Keith Raniere, which would be violent towards him in my head. And there was all of those articles were a smear campaign. So why would I even read them? Right. Mm. So he would want to show me and ask me if I knew about these things. And I said, you know, Pepe, it's all a smear campaign. He's like, that's not how the media works. What if 10% of this was true? That question to him, to me, what if 10% of this was true? Would you be okay vouching for this company? Mm. And that planted a seed. It didn't wake me up, but it planted a seed. So all you can do is ask questions, Mm. be compassionate Mm -hmm. and be really genuinely curious about the structure um, and to have them figure it out for themselves. Which is, which is kind of interesting, right? Because it's sort of, it sort of runs against the grain of what we generally are trying to encourage as a population. We're like, we're trying to encourage like, you know, be straightforward, like, you know, like be open, be honest. But in the context of, of having a, a friend or a family member or, or whatever it may be that is involved in an organization that has this sort of, you know, you're getting the vibe that this might be a cult, there might be this abuse of power thing going on, that instead of being upfront, that's actually kind of like the worst thing that you could do because you're just going to mm-hmm. push them further mm-hmm. away. Right. And it's actually, you want to actually kind of use Approach this with some sort of caution. Sort of like, yeah. I, maybe manipulation isn't the right mm-hmm. word to say, it, but like you are sort of, you know, you're, you're kind of incepting. What mm-hmm. you're touching on too is a lot of the subtext of what people do don't want to find out about themselves when yeah. they're in a cult or yeah. even when they watch these shows. A lot of people watch the shows to verify that they're not susceptible to it. So mm-hmm. they, that would never happen to me. And then when you call someone on it, you're basically calling them stupid and naive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't like right. that. No. It, right. So you, that, when you're direct, that's how they take it. That's not what you're doing. But you think I'd be dumb enough to fall for a cult? Well, right. actually... It's not, but it's not an intelligence thing. Yeah, so it yeah. seems it yeah. seems um, really difficult though to to ask those questions because it sounds like from from your show you're trying to understand like what it, what is the abuse of power that's happening, but like on the surface, like in that smokescreen, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't really seem like it's easy to identify what the Correct. abuse of power is. Like it just seems like it's easy for the person to say, "Well, it's not a cult because." I'm benefiting in all of these ways. This is how it's making my life better. So where is the abuse of power and exactly. really happening behind mm-hmm. the scenes? And, it, and it's already happened to that person. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. I didn't see it. In terms of the, the actual journey that you guys went through, like the whole journey, um, and, and maybe this is too much of a loaded question, but like what kind of impacts did this entire fucked up, like wild experience that not many, like, you know, really not a lot of people have gone through like what kind of what, what kind of impacts did this have on your general mental health uh well just to give you like timeline perspective i joined when i was 26 was just turning 27 i was there for my whole 30s and i left just before my 40th birthday wow. so i had my you know all my 30s there and that's a real there's a big pivotal life changes and shifts that happen in those times obviously so you know, Nippy and I talk about this a fair bit, like in, when we're reflecting in many ways, and I think this is healthy, although slippery slope, we have to say, you know, I wouldn't change a thing because here we are, we have these two beautiful boys. I never would have met Nippy had I not met Mark and joined Nexium, this, you know, Southern boy living in, in New York. Like, how could that have happened? So I like, I love my life. I love who we are. I love what we're building. So I have to like look at that whole journey as just part of my whether you want from a spiritual perspective, the life's purpose, 
Was I, was I brought in so that I could be the bright light to get up to the highest level possible and then, ex, you know, be a part of the exposure to expose this guy? Like I wanted before I joined Nexium to have a meaningful and purposeful life. Yeah. Right. And I thought that Nexium was that thing. Obviously we bet on the wrong horse, but now we're out of it having way more impact in terms of purpose or meaning than we ever could have had in, you know, 17,000 people went through Nexium. Hmm. 2 million people have listened to our podcast. Like to me, it was that meant to happen so we could do this. I don't fucking know. I'm I, I mm-hmm. all I know is that it was really wonderful when I was in it for a time being. It was a, it was a very beautiful place with some weird things that I couldn't wrap my head around, but was always trumped by like, but the good, the good of it, mm. all those good things you mentioned, the connection, the helping people, the personal awareness, the self evolution, all those good things. Then to answer your question about the mental health, dig into that for a second, getting out. I almost like can't put myself back there because it was such a massive betrayal and there was so much for me personally, PTSD around mm. like just what I had to do to understand that I was out there pitching and vouching for this guy who not only turned out to be um, the opposite of what he said, but so dark and so yeah. evil and and that I was a part of that. Like that was a huge, awful reconciliation and to to understand like, all the impact of all the people that I'd brought in and then they, you know, in the pyramid of the MLM Mm. pyramid scheme Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) is that there you bring people in and they bring people in. So the effects of that, and also like with the Nexium teaching is that like you, you have to take responsibility for your mistakes. So here I am going like, I'm responsible for all these people. That was part of the reason why we blew the whistle is like, I was so loud about how great it was. I had to be equally as loud about how bad it was. Right. And to put, to put myself out there in that way, like, yeah, or louder. And to put myself out there to be like the spokesperson for that was uh, terrifying. It was terrifying, you know, and I was like, you know, it was the right thing to do. I felt I needed to do it, but I didn't think about like how that was going to impact my kids, you know, or how that would impact, you know, how the neighbor sees me, the neighbor who's never watched The Vow, but sees the headline saying like sex cult recruiter yeah. tells all. I'm like, you know, there's more to that story, but if you don't know the whole story, that's how you see me. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. I, don't I wasn't really thinking about those effects. And that does take a mental toll to deal with, totally. like, yeah. you know, yeah. how, how, how people see you. And ironically, that was one of the things I was always working on in Nexium is caring less about what people thought of me. <laughs> right. <laughs> they called it, called it like me disease. And I've really had to challenge that to do this. So in many ways have had that growth. <laughs> you are, you know, you and Nippy and Mark and his, and um, I'm blanking Bonnie. on his, Bonnie. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, you guys are the architects of, of a, a man who very much deserves to be in jail, being in mm-hmm. jail, not doing this to anybody else. I, I appreciate that. And I would put that in, into certain context for you. Um, I always have a little, I wouldn't say balk, but a little bit of like, I want to add a caveat when I hear the term whistleblower. Um, for this reason and this reason alone. After Sarah got branded, we told, we went on our like three-week campaign of telling everyone what happened. And, you know, I wrote a letter to the president of the company saying WTF, basically. And no phone calls from the leadership. Nothing. Just Claire Bronfman decides to get on a plane five weeks after uh, and go to the Vancouver Police Department to have my wife arrested for mischief fraud and theft and the 
charges that she had um, and the evidence she had was a lie, right? Which mm-hmm. then put us in a defensive, right, where we were going to have to go through legal woes, which is what they had done. They just buried all their enemies in litigation. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, yes, we were doing the right thing, but we got dragged into a fight. Where they could have handled it very differently. They could have handled it, like, but, but that, that's where they had lost touch with reality because mm-hmm. I was betting on a large scale that there would be a public outcry against branding women's privates as a means to teach them personal, professional, and development mm-hmm. and, and character and honor. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what, that's what I was like, okay, you guys are on that side. I'm on this side. The optics of, of this, when we put all our cards on the table, are going to show us as like, we're not in the wrong, but you created the fight even more. Mm. So it put us in a position of like, we have to burn our boats. We're yeah. all in. Like yeah. we got, I mean, if we don't win this, we're fucked. Yeah. Right. So, so, so to, and it kind of ties into the earlier part of your question. It's like, we were in a fight. I was in a street fight and I was it was in a war for yeah. at least and, a year. Yeah. And it was, it was like that for a while. And I, and I describe it as being, you know, when you're on a plane, it's a lot of comfort, but when you hit that turbulence, your fight or flight's going off. Yeah. Right. And it kind of felt like we were on a eight to nine month plane ride where fuck the turbulence would hit and your fight or flight was going mm-hmm. off all the time. Mm-hmm. And there was shrapnel being thrown into your central nervous system. And it was a lot of that. So there's that element of it. Then there's dealing with how you got conned, the embarrassment of looking stupid, your pride yeah. taking a hit on a, on a, international scale to a certain extent. Um, and so there was that kind of egg on your face, right? So there was their initial shock trauma of it and kind of like, what do I, you know, where am I in my life? I have a kid. We had no income. So there's just the physical kind of like, and they were intentionally doing it and we knew their playbook, mm. right? So we kind of knew like, shit, this might not end well for us. And then he got arrested. And the New York Times article came out and I felt... Re- a relief. I can imagine that there is um, during that time, and and you know, once the branding happened, and then once you decided to, you know, take on this fight, um, I imagine that there's a lot of decisions that you have to make and sort of how to proceed, and there's constantly things that you have to deal with. Um, and I'm curious from from your relationship perspective, like how did you like like dealing with these this incredibly traumatic and challenging situation, but also trying to like align and make decisions together and, you know, deal with the fact that you're like learning that you're in this cult sort of at the same time. Like how did, how did you, how did you communicate with one another to sort of like effectively navigate that? Not well. Well, no, we were on the phone with Mark and Bonnie and and a team of people almost every single day. So it's a war room in our home. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, we made a lot of really good decisions in a short amount of time that, and we had a lot of people kind of serendipitously show up. Mm. Even just like the New York yeah. Times article, like, and then Moira, who took over the invest, who started the investigation, Moira Penza, like the, the people that came in and, and took it off our hands very quickly was, I mean, I don't even, I don't know how that happened, but it was. We're very grateful for it, and it and it couldn't have gone better. You know, 120 yeah. years, right? Yeah. No, and he got arrested in under a year and convicted in under wow. two. Yeah, yeah. that is so quick. It's very pretty quick. amazing. In in terms of like the actual recovery afterwards, when all is said and done, I I I mean maybe I'm wrong here, but I, but I can't imagine that you're you're trying to take that on yourself. Um, like, are, are, have you guys? 
Did you guys decide to like seek therapy, specifically oh, yeah. therapy oh, yeah. with like with someone who specializes in, yes. in deprogramming and, and, you know, cult survivors? Yep. Yep. We uh, we spoke to, well, Yanya Lalich. This, this book is like, that I think book I rec- helped a lot. recommend the most. The book to is people. called uh, Take Back Your Life. Yanya Lalich, who was, yep. uh, uh, was on Sick Boy not long ago, um, who also wrote Escaping Utopia. You got in touch with Yanya. I, I, yeah, I we actually did an interview together. I met her on the set of, um, it was called Cults and Extreme Beliefs. This is before I did The Vow. And um, and the book was re- recommended to me. Mark, Bonnie had left before us and she like kind of gathered up a bunch of resources. So when mm. I le- when we left, we somebody, thanks to Bonnie, like all of a sudden we had this list of what to read and what documentaries to watch. And, th- and that was a huge part of our deprogramming was seeing it in other groups where it's so obvious. Like if you watch Going Clear or mm-hmm. Holy Hell about Buddha Field, even Wild Wild Country, which I'm not crazy about, but I'll talk mm-hmm. about that later. Mm-hmm. Like there, you, you see the patterns and that helped us. But we spoke to Dan Shaw, who's a specialist in cults and narcissists. He also was part of um, the yoga community, uh, Siddha Yoga, which is, I, th- I think, um, in upstate New York. And I think actually where Keith studied to learn about how to be a uh, a guru and how to be like, you yeah. know, a, a leader of, <laughs> of, of the people. <laughs> I know. What's, what's up with upstate New York? Is it like a hotbed? It's a hotbed. Like, cult know. startups? Yeah. Hot this is, bed. This is hot. So we have to go there for a wedding in October. Well, and I'm like, there's nothing up there. You've been up there? No. No, I have not. It sucks. it really sucks i'm really glad we don't have to to go there again except saratoga i like saratoga but anyway i was gonna say the other thing like i've taught a big part of our podcast now is a focus on healing and i really like we talk to these people who are still in trauma and they're survivors and i'm like just trying to give them my my healing playbook and Mm. i I talk a lot about just the importance of self-education proper therapy finding a therapist also that doesn't trigger you like a lot of people who are in Nexium went to therapy and because Nexium was a therapy based curriculum yeah, there's fuck. questions that are similar to what a normal healthy therapist would ask you but if you're like getting asked that or a friend mm-hmm, like like mm-hmm. yeah any there's so many just questions in the question set that we would have as as coaches so then they'll go to a therapy session and be like I can't do this because it reminds me too much of Nexium so yeah. you have to like Find someone that works for you, that's trauma-informed, coercive control-informed in our case. And um, that's a big part of what drives us now is, is you, you know, telling these stories so people have access to these types of therapists mm. and these types of conversations, which weren't even around much when we were mm. coming out. So in, in many ways, we're like providing a free, not therapy, but like a good supplement mm. to therapy. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and the FAO did a good job of setting it up. Because I think the Val did a good job of extending the subjects um, a certain level of credibility and respect, as opposed to just going in and, and doing the yeah. obvious documentary. Yeah, um, yeah. which Absolutely. allowed us to segue nicely into this. Because I think you know, instead of being the dumb people who fell for a cult, we we're the people that looked like shit. Yeah. How did those people fall for it? Yeah, and yeah. People walk away from it going, "Hey, if that can happen to them, it can probably happen for me." And that, that was possible. one of the big things that I that that honestly, like, that was one of the biggest takeaways for me when I when I watched it. it, it and it also, like, I, I'm not I'm not going to say this is a cult, uh, mostly because, 
don't want anyone to get in trouble. And I'm sure the CBC wouldn't want anything to do with that. But uh, I took landmark. I, I took landmark form when I was in when oh, I was like in my twenties. Hundred percent a cult. Sorry, and, oh, uh, I, I didn't say it cheated. Uh, and and uh, oh, hold on, hundred percent allegedly a cult. Hundred percent allegedly. Nailed it. There we go. Allegedly a little bit cult. Yeah, right. A little bit. And uh, and I'll and, tell you why after. And ESP like like when you know when when they were talking about that on the on on the on the dock, I was like, God damn. That's, yeah. That's fucking. That's very landmark. But, <laughs> but the the wait, wait. I want Sarah to say why. Can I tell why, you why? Sh- yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. I'm allegedly, gonna just tell allegedly. you. Allegedly, from the thousands of requests that we've gotten from our listeners who are very supportive, and people who tell us, tell me their stories, and I had a sense of this before we even started the podcast. It really is the same structure in terms of the lie or the con of Nexium. In other words, here's a really good personal development program based on like the truth of the universe. You know, it's the same mm. stuff that all the leaders say, all the spiritual leaders, it's the same the same tenets of healthy living and non-attachment and owning yeah. personal responsibility and living your best life and all your goals shit. Like it's all there. And that's great. If you go take a training and you just do that and go back to your life, you're probably going to be fine. If you use the tools, you'll probably be more successful. Mm-hmm. But if you buy in and you, in Nexium case, go up the stripe path or in Landmark, like become a teacher and like work for free, it's a dependency that creates a long-term problem where you feel like your personal growth and your happiness comes from the group. Yes. Yes. And yeah. that's the problem. And you think that you have things to be fixed and they're the only ones who can fix it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that and they caused it. They caused yeah. it. Like, yeah. And that's really my main message now is you're not broken. You don't need yeah. to be fixed. You want to read a book and like improve yourself a little bit. Great. But you don't have to feel like shit about yourself or feel worthless or feel anything negative in order yeah. to go on that journey. Because that's what these groups prey on. Yeah, and that, that and that, like, I mean, yeah. I did, I do, I went on that journey, and uh, and I, I actually, I don't regret it at all. I, it was you took a lot from it. I took a, a ton from it. Whereas right. Kyla but went to it, and Kyla it, went. Well, yeah, cult. yeah. Mm-hmm. As soon as they were like, uh, now you got to go and like recruit like bring twenty your, other people. I was like, well, fuck that. that this Everyone is for me. This isn't. I don't. I don't need to bring it on this. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. single person landmark goes. They do that, and I'm just like. Every single person comes out of that feeling that way about it and they refuse to adjust their business model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And also there's things that's come out more recently about the leadership, about Werner Earhart and what he was like. I don't think there was like a harem like Keith had. I don't think. Well, and he removed definitely, himself for a reason. Yeah, there's, there was definitely no branding, yeah. um, but there was some definitely very not good power see, dynamics in the yeah. inner circle. You just wouldn't see that because it's not at the training. They were more removed. The programs yeah. that were in the ballrooms were not like, you didn't get up close and personal like you did with Nexium. So like anyway. That, that's the thing that's so frustrating about like the self-help industry is that it seems to prey on people who who just like have good intentions and just want to yeah. want to get better and be the best version of themselves. But And that there's like it, a bit of like a, of like a, of like a generation of, a, a circular effect of like there's always mm. something fundamental that you need to yeah. change. And I feel like it's I'm curious what you guys think, but I feel like it's sort of amplified by social media culture now too, in the sense that like everybody's trying to curate like the best version of themselves yeah. online. Mm-hmm. And so therefore yeah. they're showing you the best version of themselves. So you want to be the best version of yourself. So you're trying to do all the things to be that person that you think you have to be to get and that's approval like from other people. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the and, toxic positivity bullshit. And that's mm. really rampant in MLMs because you can't not be happy because if you're not happy, then like 
you're not a boss babe. You know, yeah. you're yeah. going to be a happy boss babe. And there's yeah. no problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I imagine that uh, one thing that an experience like this would take from you is is your sense of, of uh, ability to trust people. And I'm curious how this, is, this whole experience has affected your guys' ability to trust people. If I'm at very all. skeptical ha- of things. <laughs> Everything. I, I, trust to, I trust until you prove you're not trustworthy. Um, my trusting mechanism has a lot more wisdom in it now than it did before. Yeah. So I don't mm-hmm. think I trust differently. I just have more wisdom in the way I go about trusting. You just got a better bullshit radar. Yeah. Sounds, and I listen healthy. to my gut more. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I, my, gut, my gut radar was dismantled because I was told that there, there was issues with it and that it needed yeah. to be worked on. Mm-hmm. And, and now I have to be like, something doesn't feel right about this person. I'm not going to go forward with that. Because you both went into it in the beginning, like the, the, when you were first introduced to it, you both had that sort of like spidey sense tingling. Yeah. Dude, if yeah. you see Keith Raniere, you're in, in yeah. he doesn't, you don't have any buy-in around him. You're going to walk mm-hmm. right by him. And if he tries to go, Hey, yeah. I'm a guru. You're going to tell him to go fuck himself. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It took, it took a, a, a lot of people to vouch for him and a lot of people uh, to go out and say, I met him. He's fine. And all that stuff. Um, because he's not only fine, he's great. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't pass the mustard when you meet him one-on-one. Yeah, he knows right. that he has a he- mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he yeah. knows that. He knows yeah, he's what got, he's doing. He's got if some you, cre- creepy vibes. Happening. If you yeah. check out the Teal Swan documentary, um, oh, one of the very first things she says to her little following at a at a retreat, she goes like, "If you're going to do this with me, you got to you got to go to the deep end." Which yeah. is ironic because I think she's gone off the deep end, in, in yeah. my opinion, allegedly. She's fucked. Uh, yeah, yeah. But she <laughs> she allegedly. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. People are afraid to say she's fucked. We talk to some people. Well, I don't know. No, no. Like. I haven't even pulled out my dude. She is she is fucked. She is fucked beyond fucked. Like her, she's a dark, dark person. It, 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 and it's diplomatic it, around it. It's, I'm like, hold on a second. This I'm unfamiliar. I don't know. I'm yeah, unfamiliar. Yeah. Yeah. Teal, Teal Swan. I mean, you guys would be able to speak to this better than me. But Teal Sorry, Swan Sarah. is. is, I just is said it was important. Yeah, is, yeah. Uh, I don't want to get sued. That's all. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? Uh, now I, you said Landmark was a cult. Now I'm saying Teal Swan's fucked. So Teal we're all getting sued. Okay. Our our litigation training that we took is out the window. Anyway. Anyway, she's a spiritual leader who's like helping. Fucking she thinks she's helping shit. people, but I she's just like she's just she, pushing she's people the, to kill themselves. That's you know that's, what I don't I don't even know if it, that's even, even that's the worst. I mean, obviously that's if that's happening, bad. that's it's really bad. really bad. Obviously, yeah. but I think that that what is the biggest thing that I'm seeing is even the people who don't do that. She has this huge following, and she's not a trained licensed therapist, and she's doing deep emotional work yeah. with people's trauma and abuse and possibly also planting memories in Ooh, real time yeah. in these retreats. People are like, Oh wait, 
was I abused by my dad? And she's yeah. like, yeah, I see it. I can see him doing it. Like she's having these ESP moments and they believe her and then they have to reconcile now that they were abused. Things they don't even remember. Yeah. Which which can happen. That can happen in therapy that things come up that you had suppressed, I think. But the level of which everyone that goes through her trainings are having these like repressed emotions about like satanic ritual sex abuse is like very, yeah. very dark and very bad. Wow. Uh, last podcast on the left just did a really amazing deep dive on it and uh, highly suggest you listen. Last to podcast on the left? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're... Um, they're, That's uh, a good name. I like they're, that. They're, they're pretty great. They're, 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 they're more, more, more so like true crime... Um, uh, um, serial killer type stuff, but they, they mm-hmm. dabble in cults as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really dying to know about your podcast a little oh, bit yes. culty. Um, uh, and you know, I, I, I love that you guys are doing a podcast and, and you've, you've, we've sort of like brushed over it a, a few times during the conversation mm-hmm. here. Um, but what, like, what was the decision to, to create a podcast together? And also, was there a little bit of trepidation there? Like, yes. Considering oh, that yeah. this seems oh, yeah. like a really fucking, you know, traumatic, uh, triggering thing to kind of just like constantly talk about cults after. It, and all these groups are so litigious. Yeah. It's, it's very scary on a daily basis. <laughs> Ultimately, it happened in COVID and the vow happened and that was crazy and our lives blew up in this weird way and people were mm. reaching out from all around the world saying like, oh my God, thank you because now I'm able to see that this thing I'm in is actually a cult and, or I was about to do something and then I watched the vow and I didn't do it and it turned out it was a cult or all around the world, people reaching out to us just to talk and connect and share and tell their stories. And, and a number of people said, we th- could, would you do a podcast? We're like, really, isn't it all in the vow? Like, you, mm-hmm. what, what more could you want? Um, but it was COVID and um, we, I put it on my Instagram. I said, do you guys like, to my, you know, my little followers, which also was culty, right? But said, would you guys, <laughs> do you guys want more? Do you want to do a podcast? And, and everyone said yes, except for one person. And that was my assistant at the time. And she said no. And I said, why? She said, because you're so busy. Like, when are you going to do a podcast? I was like, good point. <laughs> Did it anyway. A caveat is Sarah says yes to a fault. I say no to yes, a fault. Yes, that's true. I think- I'm always like, yeah, let's do an adventure. But somebody reached out to us. Her we name is Jess Tardy. Dance. The last we dance, watched the Michael last dance Jordan, and it was turned negatives into a positive. And I was like, Sarah, we got to turn this into a positive. Yes, yeah. that happened. Yeah. Carry on. And, Sarah. and Jess Tardy reached out to us and said, yes, you should do a podcast. It should our be called a producer a, who's now our associate producer. She said it should be called a little bit culty. And she kind of like laid it all out she for laid us. Laid out a season for us. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yes. And specifically Citizens of Sound is a prod- podcast production company who is ex-evangelical. They, they had an ex-culty background. So we, huh. and Jess had a bunch of culty things happen in her life. So we had all these people who like understood what we've been through and this team yes. sort of formed and then it just birthed and we did it. And it, we, because I had done so many other interviews and other people's like Mike Rinder and Leah Remini from Scientology, I had some calls to be like, Hey, can you come on ours now? So we had these great interviews with people lined up that were, you know, or even having Yanya on was one of our first guests. Mm. We had all these cult experts that had become our friends and and allies over the past years, just in our recovery process that we could call on. And we thought, Hey, we're having these conversations anyway, like this, this is an amazing conversation. Great. Why don't you record it and share it? It just seemed like a no brainer. And here we are, are. but you're right. It is stressful. We have to do very clear boundary work of being like, especially with the teal swan stuff. I watched that documentary. could not sleep. I was so angry Mm. and like writing letters to her in my head and like telling her off as if I was in the training, you know, like, 
if she tried to mm. gaslight me and I want to fucking, you're not going to fucking gaslight me, bitch. You know, like, <laughs> I, just, like I have these fantasies, like yeah. that can't be healthy. You know, like I just, I don't no, know. It is healthy. Yeah. Or it is. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like, it's like your internal rage room, you know, it's like yes. instead of going and smashing a TV in that little weird room, you can just do you it know, in your brain. And yeah. I, I think I think it's you just know, gonna naturally that you that you, having the experience of yes. of of blowing the lid off of this yeah. and 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 feeling and and I'm sure although I know you feel conflicted about you know your role in 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 bringing people into Nexium I and like I said before I I think that it outweighs it how you blew the lid off of it and and kind of yeah. lit the fire into this like I, I feel like it 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 makes a lot of sense to have a kind of a <laughs> desire to just like keep the fire going, like keep the, keep these people, put the spotlight on these, these people in these groups that are doing yeah. these things. And I'll, and t- I'll tell you yeah. the origin of that and why, you know, you see a lot of things going on right now in the world and everyone's complaining and it's, it's been coined a term grievance ideologies. I have a complaint, therefore I have a platform. Yeah. And I told Sarah, we need to really be specific on what principle it is that we're doing. And I find a lot of people that grab the mic oftentimes don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They don't know what they're looking at. And the reason I got involved at any element, even in the interviews with the vow, I kind of was like, I just wanted to make my peace and get out. But I also understand people weren't articulating it well and they didn't understand the abuses of power very well. And, you know, I was allergic to people pretending that it couldn't happen to them. And I felt like if we could articulate and had a platform that could say, the abuses of power that go on in cults aren't proprietary to cults. They're going on in other hierarchies and other domains that you and I interface with every single day, whether you want to believe it or not. And if we could have a podcast that stayed in that lane and didn't really venture out under the things that could be a little bit culty and the abuses of power, I felt like that was time well spent. And since we've done that, you know, we've had a lane open up where we can help way more people than we ever thought we could. I think Mm -hmm. you'd be stupid not to take that and take that as far as you can go because to me, that's what it's about, you know, and that's why I got involved with it uh, in the first place. And we had been asking people questions for 10, 15 years. We, mm-hmm. we were trained to elicit mm-hmm. information from people <laughs> and do that. So we were kind of uh, player, player ready for it. And we could do it in our apartment during COVID. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things lined up for us to go, yeah, why the Just why to wrap, yeah. just to finish that, the, the one thing we didn't know when we were talking experts and survivors is that it would also become a platform for people to, like a couple of people whistleblowed on our platform against some, blown. there's a whistle blown, blown the whistle. <laughs> um, on the, uh, like a, there was like the teal male equivalent, in my opinion, the alleged abuser, Bentinho Massaro. Um, we did a two-part episode on that where three victims spoke out for the first time, which led to a Rolling Stone article, which is hopefully going to lead to an investigation. But like mm. that, to be a part of that, um, again, really exciting and meaningful, also mm. very triggering and re-traumatizing. So course, it's yeah. just finding that balance and also trying to be a mom and an actor. So it's yeah. crazy town. Yeah. Yeah. Here. I, I, wanted, I wanted to ask too about talking about these things. I mean, obviously there's, there's the, you know, you, you mentioned that you set very clear boundaries too, so that you don't have to go into those re-triggering moments as, as often. But I also imagine that there's, there's maybe some component that's beneficial in talking about this. And when I go to therapy, my therapist often times we'll like use the analogy of talking or, or talking through triggering or past traumas is like, it's like all these memories in your, in your brain are sort of like filed away. And these, Mm -hmm. they're like pieces of paper and, and the, the traumatic ones are like pieces of paper, but they're like crinkled up. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about them, it's like you pull them back out and you, 
talk through this thing and you reprocess it and then you're able to like sort of flatten out that piece of paper so that it files away more easily mm, in I your like in your mind. And and I, I I think that you guys are in this unique situation where, you know, in in blowing the whistle on Nexium and and sort of being forced into talking about it and talking about it a lot in a very public platforms. I I imagine that there there there's probably some sort of benefit to doing that too. Totally. And I'm curious what what your thoughts are on on talking about trauma in a way that again is like on your own terms to sort of reprocess and go through it. Do you, do you you're not like going to follow it up with like mm. some sort of new analogy okay. to what your no, your therapist said, like it. like like they're you know maybe they have a lamination machine and they're taking their paper <laughs> out and they're sending it through the laminator. I love, I love analogies. I love analogies. analogies. Oh, you so. would have loved Nexium. We used a lot of analogies. There. <laughs> <laughs> I, the guys joke I, that I would have been a good cult recruit <laughs> member. Yes, um, You've been a great coach. Well, we, <laughs> yes, I mean just this conversation is cathartic because that's a great metaphor. Despite what you're your your podcast team thinks. I think it's a great <laughs> metaphor. I'm going to use it. I'm going to reference you, pay tribute to you. And Thank you. <laughs> it's just another little thing for my tool belt. So like I get something, like I, I get something out of this, you know, it's, it's selfish um, in that way for sure. Um, the more that we talk about it, the more the shame is blown away. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it what happens. Yeah, and totally. He, totally. Yeah. And every conversation we have, I can't even tell you how many people or like, yeah, I was part of this, or I was in this, or I was almost like everyone's got a culty story, even if it's not a full blown, you know, legit yeah. cult. Culty yeah. shit happens all the time, and and now people have the the words for it. So to be yeah. a part of that is I mean, exciting. In in a sense, you have to you like like right now when you're running a business and you want to build an audience, you kind of have to like have that culty aspect to it to like really drive yeah, yeah engagement, you want the right? right amount like we were we're thinking about doing retreats um (laughs) as sick boy we were thinking (laughs) about implementing a sas sash system (laughs) okay Okay, like the more people come on the retreats the more um i I have i have a question that i've been that we've been batting around this what we think and this is kind of unrelated to like (laughs) what we really talk about in the podcast but something that i'm fucking fascinated about and i'm interested in your guys's take what was Keith Raniere thinking when he asked Mark to film everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know what I he was thinking. I can tell you. Yeah. Like, did he have any clue? Like that, because it, it, he so was filming everything. You don't, even, you don't even understand. He wasn't just filming everything. If I had a meeting with him, I would have my, I was yeah. recording it. Everything was documented. Yeah, it was for posterity and for what was going to be the, the library of his genius down the road and they were categorizing it. So if he did a forum, there was like 20 people with paper and pens and a stopwatch going at 10 minutes, he told a joke about elephants at 12, at 12 minutes, he told a metaphor about trauma and paper at 13 minutes. He, and they would document it so they could put it in a computer and they could be like, when has Keith ever talked about monogamy or the climate or farts or whatever? And he did like, he went off on these tangents. And so they want, they wanted to, a system where the, you you could catalog all the things that he said and have video footage and audio and this, that was the plan. Convenient wow. for the FBI, I suppose. Really, when yeah. they're, uh, really convenient. Yeah, when really did he backfired. incriminate himself? Not the smartest man in the world after all. What a fucking dummy. Yeah. Um, I've got one last question <laughs> uh, for the both of you. And this yes. is a question that we typically ask our guests who are living with illness, but I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, shift it a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, w- and this is for both of you, each to 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 answer individually. It's a, it's a two part question. The first part is, what is the biggest thing that Nexium has taken away from you? Time. 
youth. <laughs> um, no, wait. Um, what is it taken away from me? For me, it's time. The only thing I actually still have hanging on with me in my psychology is the time I spent, mm. the time I emptied out. Yeah, and like not knowing what I could have done in my 30s had I put that energy into like an actual organization or, you know, I had all these other things I thought I'd be good at that I didn't do. Yeah. And I don't feel like I can do now fully. So what, just, yeah, the unresolved potential in my mind. It's the, it's the one thing we can't get back. You can get mm. back money. You can get back, you know, your friends. Yeah. You can get back. You can get nearly time is the one entity that I, the ultimate abuse. We poured of, it out. Like yeah. if you could see yeah. what we did. Hard for something. And where in the armpit of America? Uh, so, <laughs> fucking upstate New York. What, what would you say is the biggest thing that Nexium has given you? Wisdom. Sense of self. Amazing. And who I am. Yeah. And for what it's and worth. And my children. <laughs> and my husband. Yeah. 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 For, for, for what it's worth. <laughs> I, I'm not a, I, I know you talked about it earlier. I'm not much of like a, you know, things happen for a reason type person, <laughs> but like, you know. I know it took away time and I know it took away the possibility of, you know, what you could have done, you know, in a, in a, in a, in an important decade of your life, but you're here now yep. and you both have heeded a very great call of responsibility to yeah. help people. And I think you're doing some pretty fucking awesome Thank work you. with what mm -hmm. you got. Oh, Absolutely. That, that means yeah. a lot. It does. And I'm not a big seeker of validation, but, <laughs> in the last last week or two, we've had some some pretty big victories that, you know, and for me personally, um, I was just in uh, L.A. and we just got a, a little write up in the New Yorker, and I told my dad about it, <laughs> and uh, he called me, and I heard him proud of me for the first time in like a long time, oh. you know, like really like. Because, I, I mean, I had a lot of expectations. I went to an Ivy League school. I played quarterback. I was on a track. And I kind of felt like, you know, I'm going to be successful in a way that, you know, my dad will be proud. And I was in a fucking cult. And it yeah. put strain on my family. And when, it, when I, I just, he didn't have to tell me because he's kind of Clint Eastwood in that regard. <laughs> um, but I heard it, you know, and, and I recognize it because I'd, I'd, I'd heard it in his voice when I was younger. And just for him to, to live to see it, and, and just, I mean, it's not huge, but just for me, it was, it was, mm. it was a real big kind of, you know, moment for me. And I just had a moment, you know, when I got off the phone with them and it just felt really good. And I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that was necessarily going on with me and something that would make me feel like that. Cause I'm mm. I kind of, you know, there's that poem treat success and failure. The imposter is just the same, you know, and you have to keep kind of on a, you can't indulge your press clippings and, and get down too big or too up when you're high. And, mm -hmm. and just knowing that was something and owning that was something that I wanted and needed was was very big for me. And then yeah. to have it in other regards tells me I, I'm on the right path. And, yeah. you know, Sarah and I are betting on ourselves in a way that we didn't before. And it's it's not over. It's just the beginning. So yeah. that's really special. Thanks for so sharing So thank that. you guys yeah. for giving us a platform. Yeah. Hey, I, I mean, you know, I... I the three of us are, uh, we, we love what you guys are doing and oh, we think that, you. that you. you are absolutely incredible. And, and th the fact that, that you've taken time out of your busy schedules to sit down and, and be on our show just means the absolute fucking world to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, we thank you so, so much for, for giving us the opportunity. This has yeah. been, this has thank just you. been such a treat and such um, a treat for us too. You're, you're, you're really inspiring to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if <laughs> we're gonna you know, be in Vancouver, we're, we're going to be in Vancouver at some point, but you guys, you guys will be win. moved. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, we're coming yeah. out. We're coming out to do a show in the fall. Sept- end of September. Yeah. Uh, end of September. Yeah, yeah. but uh, well, well, our, our paths yeah. will cross. I have, I have we'll we're, we're, we're spending our summers here, so so there we yeah. go. Yeah. And maybe we'll find ourselves in Peach Country, folks. Again, keep in touch. Again, the podcast is a little bit culty. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. And we didn't even mention, but Sarah, you've got a book called Scarred. That is also out. You can find that wherever you find find books. How can people follow you guys and and stay up to date with the work that you're doing? Awesome. Thank you for that. We are on Instagram mostly at a little bit culty. I'm on Instagram as Sarah Edmondson. Anthony is Anthony Ames. Are you Anthony nippy Ames. now? No, I'm Anthony Ames 11. Okay. On <laughs> you got to really want to find me. You earned it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit more of a social enigma, but um, we try to respond to everybody. You find me. I yeah. know you worked for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, thank you guys. Really, really, really awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, thank you so much. Hey folks, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sarah and Nippy. Um, and please go check out their podcast, A Little Bit Culty. Uh, I've been listening to episodes now since we've been since we had this conversation with them, and it's an absolute delight. Uh, they are they're really fun to listen to, and they're doing some really important work. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to uh, support the podcast, you can do that in a number of different ways. You can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can leave a rating on the Spotify mobile app. Um, But if you want to join the conversation, uh, come on over to our Discord channel. You can find the link to that in the show description below. Um, We'd love to see you over there. There's lots of fun conversations happening with a bunch of listeners from around the world. So come join us, will you? Sick Boy Podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. Thanks to Take Part for the theme music. And of course, big shout out to our boy over on Prince Edward Island, Donovan the CPAP Morgan, for all the sound design on this week's episode. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.